welcome to yet another anime podcast. Just who the hell do I think I am? I'm Ninja Boy, and I'm yet another anime podcast host. Well, my dear listeners, we have a lot of ground to cover this week with the first episode of most Fall 2020 anime series having aired at this point, with many second or even third episodes having aired by the time this episode releases. There are a couple of shows that haven't aired yet this season, but we've got more than enough for this episode. I have like 19 pages of script that I have to read through, so uh, the reviews of this episode will be as spoiler-free as reasonably possible, and I'm going to try to limit it to as much of the first episode only, even if I have seen uh, stuff past the first episode, though I will give warnings where possible uh, to um, to about the show so that you, know, you have some context while not going completely blind. Um, as a reminder, I give shows three different recommendations. Uh, one is to simply drop the show if I'm not grabbed at all and the show simply isn't for me. Uh, one is to completely sign off on the show, and if I can tell, I'm going to be in for the entire ride. And for the majority of shows, uh, they're going to be somewhere in between. You know, not quite something that I'm going to sign out to a hundred percent just yet off the first episode, but also not something that's so terrible I want to drop it the first episode. Uh, these I'm going to give the classic three episode rule to um, to see if it's something up my taste. Um, I will be saying if I'm going to le- if I'm leaning toward maybe dropping it or leaning ver- towards keeping it, um, but in general that's what it's what where I'm at. Um, I've also been giving tweet length reviews over on Twitter under the hashtag of Fall at 2020 Anime at Yet Anno Anipod. So make sure you follow me there to see my hot takes as I review there. Um, I generally don't do it beyond the first episode, but who knows? If something interesting comes up this season, I may respond to it there. All right, first up, let's talk about shows I'm actually not watching this season for one reason or another. Uh, Don Machi, season three, or Is It Wrong to Pick Up Girls in the Dungeon, was a series I never really got into, even after watching the first season, so I'm not going to be following that. Uh, the same applies to the arcs of Irregular at the Magic High School, Is the Order a Rabbit, Love Live, Strike Witches, One Room, A3, and Chuki. Chukiuta. Um, I know I should be watching Haikyuu, but I haven't gotten the chance to yet, uh, which is why the new season isn't in this episode of the podcast. And the same applies to Golden Kamui Season 3, though I definitely want to at some point. The Higurashi remake, uh, or maybe it's not a remake, people aren't quite sure yet, um, is, is in either case, I'm not really a fan of straight-up horror series, and I never saw the first one, so I'm going to pass regardless. Um I also never watched Inuyasha religiously, though I ha- I do know who the character are to some degree. My sister was a really big fan. So I feel like I'd be doing myself a disservice uh, in watching the show about their kids without having that context. And then finally, there were a couple of etchy shows listed on live chart that I couldn't find English subs for or official streams of at the time of recording, so I'm going to be skipping those for now. So to ease ourselves in, there are two shows left over from previous seasons I'm going to be keeping up with. The first is Fire Force Season 2, watchable on Crunchyrolls, which is some flaming hot, good sonin action um, as expected. So definitely check that out from Season 1 if you haven't already. And then Digimon Adventure 2020 remake, uh, also found on Crunchyroll, is still bringing me back to my Saturday mornings of my childhood. Um, they actually just finished the Digi Destined Acquire Their Ultimate Form Evolutions uh, arc, um, and it's been pretty exciting, and there's so many more episodes left. So, you know, I'm actually a couple of episodes behind this season, uh, just because I've been watching all of the new shows. So um, hopefully I'll catch up shortly and not end up dropping this. 
Now, I'm also still waiting on Ninja Collection, that three-minute horror series on Crunchyroll um, that's had some delays in getting the last few episodes out. So um, a couple more episodes there before that finishes up. But that is a good transition to the other sorts that I'm watching this season. Uh, this is anything less than the standard 24-length uh, ep uh, episodes uh, coming out on a weekly basis. Now, I'm generally a lot more lenient when it comes to sorts because... Uh, uh, compared to full-length series, you know, there's just a lot less time investment, you know, one-eighth to one-half of the time investment each week. So, you know, I generally can at very least put aside that much time to look, take a look at these shows. Um, and in general, sorts tend to be where there's a lot of great innovation when it comes to either storytelling technique or animation technique you wouldn't be able to get from the standard broadcast anime. After all, uh, restrictions breed creativity. So, of the four, first off, we'll start up with Inu Toneko Dochin Mo Kateru no Mainichi Tanoshi, or I enjoy raising a, both a cat and a dog every day. This is like a two minute short found on Crunchyroll every Friday about this one pet owner's dog uh, is a good pupper and then the uh, and is super affectionate and such, and then their cat is kind of a mean asshole. Um, seems pretty true to life. Uh, you can tell I'm definitely a, a dog person. I'm giving this one a follow, uh, but if you want a full pet-related series, I would definitely recommend checking out the show My Roommate is a Cat on both Crunchyroll and Animation. Uh, next up, we have Railwoman-esque. Uh, this seems to be adapted from a visual novel that features humanoid lolis called Railords who control trains, I think. Um, there are like eight-ish girls based on different trains in Japan, uh, very quickly introduced to you with way too much text on screen for a uh, three-minute anime. Um, honestly, the animation is pretty lacking. I think the appeal here is mostly for fans of the visual novel to see their particular best girl uh, animated and, and voiced more fully um, in, in, in the three minutes so. Um, definitely a lot more work on the seiyus here, um, which generally isn't a huge priority for me. So uh, I'm going to be dropping this one. If it is your thing, though, check it out on Crunchyroll and Funimation on Fridays. Another sort based on the game is Gurabu, or Grand Blue, based on the Grand Blue fantasy RPG. Uh, the first episode was pretty bizarre, and I'm not really sure what the comedy was supposed to be. I presume having knowledge of who these characters are in the game uh, would make the jokes funnier and land better for me. Uh, in any case, this one is also a drop for me for that reason, but if you do like the Grand Blue fantasy RPG series, I guess check this out on Thursdays on Crunchyroll. Uh, the final sort I was able to find licensed was Soridake Ganek, or that is the bottleneck. The first episode seems to focus on the employees who work in a konbini or a local convenience store uh, with a mysterious protagonist, Muto, whose face you never actually see. Uh, this one actually is kind of interesting since it seems to be more character-driven with short interactions and mysteries laid out in the first episode. I'm definitely reminded of other workplace series such as bookseller Honda-san and Denkigai no Honya-san, uh, though this is definitely a lot more mysterious as to who Muto is. Uh, without being based on another franchise, I don't really have much reason not to give this a shot, so I'm going to be following this one. Uh, you can too, both on Funimation and Crunchyroll on Mondays. Okay, enough for the sorts and the previous series, let's go ahead to the full-length series that are new this season. Now, there were, I last I checked, and I count maybe I think I'm correct in saying there were 26 new broadcast-length series that I'm going to be talking about this episode. Uh, in past episodes, I've gone by day of week. Um, when they aired, but I think it might make more sense this time around to group them by genres. You can see how the shows rank up against each other. 
First up, we have one show that is a sequel to another series, Osomatsu-san Season 3. Uh, it can be found on Crunchyroll, as can the first two seasons and the movie. For the uninitiated, Osomatsu-kun was a manga from 1962 by Fujio Akatsuka that follows the sixth mischievous 10-year-old identical uh, the six mischievous 10-year-old identical Matsunu brothers. They were sextuplets. There was an anime series back in the 60s and the 80s following the brothers, and then in 2015, in honor of the mangaka's 80th birthday, a version of the brothers about 10 years older who were more lazy neats, you know, no job, no employment, no education, uh, had... And, and, you know, it was aired and eventually became popular enough to now that it's on its third season. Honestly, I'm not sure if I've ever actually finished the second season. Um, I know I definitely started it. I don't know if I actually finished it. But the good thing is that as the comedy gag series, the episodes are pretty standalone. And there's not much uh, chronology between them that call back to previous episodes. So, you know, I can just pick up from wherever I left off. And I'll, I'll, I'll probably just be able to pick up uh, season two whenever I'm able to find time this season. I would say that the I will say that the first episodes of each season are something special as they all pretty much shatter the fourth wall about getting a new season and them knowing they're in an anime and they have lots of references to other shows. I mean, in this in this season three premiere, you get references to Demon Slayer and Evangelion among others. Uh, in season two, they jump mediums, going beyond standard two D animation to live action and three D modeling. And episode one had so many references to other shows that it actually got taken down from online streaming and home release due to Japan having no fair use clause uh, for copyright, and they didn't get paid. They had permission to pay homage to the likes of Attack on Titan, Pokemon, Sailor Moon, Naruto, and so many more. Uh, if you can find a copy of it floating somewhere online, it's definitely worth the watch. Anyway, overall, I would say Osomatsu-san is a comedy show that would be the Japanese equivalent of something like The Simpsons or South Park or maybe Rick and Morty. Uh, maybe not even Rick and Morty. That has too much chronology, I think. So maybe Gintama, if you're more familiar with that in terms of like doing parodies of Japanese culture. Uh, give it a few episodes if you're not really sure, but this is definitely my jam. Uh, once again, Osamatsu-san can be found on Crunchyroll every Monday. Next up, we have two sports series. Uh, one out of Studio Mappa is Taiso Samurai, or The Gymnastic Samurai. The premise is that professional men's gymnast Jotaro Aragaki is starting to age out of the sport despite having given it his all for decades, and his coach is pushing him to retire. The first episode is mostly him struggling with the decision of whether or not to quit and what his next moves would be. I think that the entire show being about gymnastics, you can probably guess what the decision is. Uh, I think, uh, you know, now there's a couple of standout parts in the show I really like. For one, this one has a single father-daughter relationship between Jotaro and his daughter, Rei. His wife, unfortunately, seems to have already passed on, and part of his struggle in the episode is trying to figure out how to tell his daughter that he might be quitting, though she seems precocious enough to actually know it already. Uh, there was also part of the episode where they visit Edo Wonderland, a theme park, a real-life theme park in Kinugawa, where you can dress up as samurai and ninja from the Edo period. Rei is after my heart, being a huge fan of ninjas. Uh, now, there seems to be a larger mystery at play here. I don't mean like, what kind of species their pet talking bird Big Bird is, really. What is Big Bird? Um, anyway, at Edo Wonderland, one of the ninja actors seems to be followed by secret agents, and then he ends up following them back uh, to Tokyo, uh, complete with references to Matrix and Keanu for the agents. Um, this ninja ends up being a foreign gaijin, uh, and at the high point of the episode, he shows off that he has gymnastic skills and there's a lively piano OST in the background. The animation and music work really well together, and I'm definitely looking to more forward to more scenes like that. Apparently, the music director, Masaru Yokoyama, was the music director behind Your Lie in April, which explains the excellent piano OST.
In any case, I'm definitely getting vibes of Yuri on Ice. Um, that's uh, about an older athlete finding a protege who's also skilled, though uh, I actually, I don't know, I actually never watched Yuri on Ice directly, but that's what I know of the show. Um, I'm giving this show three episodes, but if it can deliver on more cute father-daughter moments, as well as being well-scored and animated uh, with great gymnastic sequences throughout, not just really given to us, um, you know, I'm definitely about that. So you can follow Taiso Samurai on Funimation every Saturday. The other sports series is Iwa, Iwa Kakeru, or Sports Climbing Girls. As you can probably tell by the title, this one is about the sport of climbing. Obviously, both this and Taiso Samurai were likely meant to tie into the 2020 Tokyo Olympics that got delayed due to the pandemic. Sport climbing was actually going to make its debut alongside breakdancing as an Olympic sport this year. Anyway, this show is set in a high school, as many sports shows are, and has newcomer uh, Konomi Kasahara, a former elite puzzle gamer, stumble across her show's climbing wall, because Japanese high schools have climbing walls, I guess. Uh, the first episode has her meet fellow first-year Jun Uehara, who is a bit of a hard-ass about a newbie taking her beloved sport of climbing too lightly for her taste, and so of course they have to compete in episode 1, eventually ending, no big spoiler here, uh, with Konomi joining the team. Now, Jun's character can be a little bit grating, but I am a bit of a sucker for shows that dive deeply into one specific hobby, still waiting on my breakdancing anime, uh, in a semi-educational way. A few years ago, there was a show about an academic quiz bowl I got really into that no one seems to have, maybe because I did quiz bowl myself, and the past few seasons have I've had uh, a cute girl doing hobby things. Uh, spring had Tamayomi and baseball. Summer had Hokugao, Teibu, Nisu, and fishing. And in this season, of course, has Iwakakeru and climbing. Assuming in the next three episodes, we continue to dive into the world of sport climbing and June is a little bit less annoying, this one should be to follow. Um, and did I mention the cute girls? But not just any cute girls, buff cute girls. Uh, anyway, shout out to How Heavy Are the Dumbbells You Lift and the opening song Onegai Muscle that keeps getting into my Spotify playlist. Uh, you can catch uh, Iwa Kakeru on Crunchyroll every Sunday. The other oddly specific genre that uh, somehow two, that there are two of this season is out of pretty boys that are in mostly benevolent Tokyo-based gangs. It's totally a thing. So first off, we have Ikebukuro Westgate Park. This is based off of a series of urban mystery novels by Ira Isida that was later adapted into a very popular J-drama in 2000. So the premise is that Makoto Majima lives in Tokyo neighborhood of Ikebukuro. While not many of the local gangs, not, well not part of any local gangs, he acts as kind of an everyman who is able to, to right the wrongs that he sees and gets along well enough with everyone that, you know, he's neutral enough he can get along with everyone. Now, if that sounds vaguely so familiar, familiar to the similar plot of popular series Durarara, minus the supernatural elements, you wouldn't be far off. Ryogo Narita, creator of Durarara, has said that he was inspired by the live action drama when creating his own series, and you can kind of tell with the G-Boys in blue seeming to inspire the blue squares of Durarara. Anyway, the first episode kind of gave you a taste of how Makoto deals with crimes in his neighborhood, and was a pretty enjoyable watch in how he ended up resolving the issue. I think part of the appeal of this show is that the character design and art style is less stereotypically anime like you would expect in a fantasy or isekai series, and that harkens more to the real world, um, which suits the show's grounded subject matter. I'm pretty sure I'm in on this series, though we'll see if any kind of larger plot emerges over the next couple of episodes, or if it just ends up being episode of the week crime solving. Hopefully more of the former. 
And at the very least, having enjoyed the Rara and other urban gang and crime series in the past, this should slot right in there. And at least if it's since it's inspired the Rara, would be great to see where it, uh, elements of it came from. You can find Ikebukuro Westgate Park on Funimation every Tuesday. The other Pretty Boy Tokyo Gang series is pretty much the definitely much less grounded Hypnosis Mike, Division Rap Battle, Rhyme Anima, and it's part of a larger multimedia franchise that's been going on since 2017. Though it seems that this is the first part that actually has gotten any sort of official English translation. So the crazy premise is that Tokyo has been taken over by a political party of all women. They have destroyed and banned all conventional weaponry and have instead distributed hypnosis mics, some sort of advanced microphone that can summon JoJo-style stands in order to deal damage to your opponents through the power of rap and hip-hop. Yeah, let that sink in for a moment. Anyway, this first episode basically introduces the four three-man groups of whom each represent a different district of Tokyo. For example, the Buster Bros represent Ikebukuro, uh, and they definitely see how they can fit it just into the G-Boys. Uh, each group got their own segment to introduce themselves and what their group is about and their style. Now, on top of the premise being pretty crazy, uh, there was a lot happening on screen, especially during the rap battles. Lots of bright colors and animation popping up on screen layered against the Japanese rap. As a non, as someone who doesn't speak Japanese and who needs to rely on subtitles, it's a bit much to try and take in all at once. But somehow, in its ostentatiousness, it's kind of enjoyable. I will say, that even without understanding what's being said, without reading the subtitles, I can appreciate how the flow of each rapper matches their personality from the limited time we get to see them on screen, which I think is great in terms of character building. I wouldn't be hoping or expecting a real deep or engaging story as with Ikebukuro Westgate Park, but if you're in for the spectacle and some over-the-top nonsense with some very pretty boys to look at, um, I think this is the show for you. Assuming the quality doesn't sit the bed over the next three episodes, I'm in for some dumb hip-hop fun. Um, I've assumed the next few episodes will focus on each individual group in turn to give them some more time to sign, so um, you know, with four individual groups, we'll probably start seeing a full plot come out somewhere around episode 6 and probably take us through the second half, potentially. Um, though we'll see that actually emerges. Uh, plus, in all honesty, the music isn't that bad if you're into Japanese music in Japanese music uh, and J-pop rapist stuff. Um, if you're interested in the larger hype mic fandom, as apparently that's how it's known, um, I'll link to a video by Twitter user Otapel One Half, which gives a good breakdown of the franchise. Also, apparently the director and writer of Yu-Gi-Oh! 5D is in on this series, which kind of explains why this show is as loud, colorful, and crazy as it is, over the top. Uh, Hypnosis Mike can be found on Funimation every Friday. Uh, the next so-called genre are two shows I'm calling Big Brain. Uh, the first one is Yukoku no Moriarty or Moriarty the Patriot. Now, originally, it was a monthly manga series by Ryosuke Takeuchi, which is based on the popular Sherlock Holmes series. Except instead of following the titular detective, um, as you can probably tell, this is based on his nemesis, William James Moriarty. Uh, so to summarize the first episode, it looks like young aristocrat Moriarty uses his intelligence, which again, rivals out of Sherlock, to help co others commit crimes, though in order to make him a more sympathetic protagonist, he the crimes he helps others commit are in response to slash seeking revenge for equally heinous crimes committed by fellow aristocrats who are corrupt. Um, on production staff, we have Taku Kishimoto um, on series composition, and it seems like he can handle mystery pretty well. He handled the script for Erased, last season's Detective Millionaire Balance Unlimited, another Sherlock adaptation in Kabuchiko Sherlock, as well as some other series I liked, including Silver Spoon and the widely acclaimed Haikyuu. 
after the first episode, I honestly don't know which way this is going to go. If it ends up being a series of mostly one-off stories within each episode, that could get a little old fast. Um, but given the fact that uh, there is a larger, that there is a long-running anime, I presume that there is a long-running plot that will be adapted. Um, especially, and if especially if it ends up go, means that he goes up against Sherlock, that could be really good. So I'm going to need the full three episodes to decide here. Note that 24 episodes have actually been booked for this one, with 12 airing this season and 12 more in spring of 2021, uh, meaning that there was a break uh, from January through April. Moriarty the Patriot airs on Funimation on Sundays. They actually pre-screened the first episode a week early, so the second episode should come out this weekend that this episode airs. The other big brain anime this season is Muno no Nana, or Talentless Nana, another manga written by a mangaka that goes by the pen name Loose Boy. Now, before I get deeper into why it's a big brain anime, note that in order to do so, I'm going to have to go into some heavy spoiler territory here, so you have been warned. Anyway, the show takes place on an island where children with supernatural powers reside and train to take on the so-called enemies of humanity. Nana no Nakajima doesn't seem to have any powers. Off the bat, this seems like a My Hero Academia ripoff. Quirkless main protagonist, superpowered children, even the ripoff of Bakugo and the ripoff Todoroki make themselves known in the first couple of minutes of the episode. Over the course of the show, with the help of new Esper Transfer student Nana Hiragi, Nana gains confidence in himself about his place in the class and he reveals he has the power to negate other powers and ends up becoming the class leader by the end of the episode. That seems awfully convenient. Okay, spoilers really start here, so you really have been warned. In the final two minutes of the episode, after he gains his confidence, Nana, his classmate, reveals that she is actually a secret agent sent to the class to assassinate all of the students because in the future, it is so that they will eventually cause untold numbers of human deaths. And they, are, they the students, are in fact the enemies of humanity. Dun dun dun. So Nana kills Nana in the first episode by throwing him off a cliff, revealing that she doesn't have mind reading powers, but instead just uses her own knowledge and knowledge of human psychology to manipulate him into the situation. Couple things here. First off, if you've been playing Among Us, uh, which most of you probably have, this is basically Pink is Sus, the anime. Uh, she's the imposter who has to infiltrate the school and kill off her classmates without being caught. Solid. There are also shades of Death Note, where the cat and mouse game's going on here, though the dynamic of her wrecking havoc on her own could get boring if there isn't a counteract trying to actively find her. I think the white-haired right classmate uh, will eventually be that foil to her L to her Kira. This does bring up the possibility that it may get too grim, dark, and edgy as other Battle Royale-type series in the past, um, but I can't say which way it's going to go. Um, I will say I'm not really in love of, with the character design or the animation. Like, it feels a little still like the rip-off uh, My Hero Academia, but it is what it is. Like Moriarty the Patriot, I think the execution over the next couple of episodes will be a lot more telling on more than ones I'm going to watch or I'm going to end up dropping. You can watch Talentless Nana and decide for yourself on Sundays on Funimation. Now, one mainstay of anime in terms of genre in recent years is the isekai genre. You know, being reincarnated or sent to another world, usually with a medieval high fantasy type of setting, though not always. Uh, there are three shows this season in that vein. First, we have 
100 men no inochi no ue no ore wa tate iru or I'm standing on a million lives. It's based on the manga series where protagonist Yotsuya Yusuke ends up getting transported along with some of his classmates to a fantasy world. Yada yada yada, typical isekai stuff. He ends up getting a quest from some omnipotent being. Uh, a couple twists though on the isekai formula here, which there always seem to be. First, he's assigned to a job such as, you know, wizard, warrior, or rogue from a roulette wheel. Um, standard stuff, but he gets assigned as a farmer of all classes, uh, which seems to be useless in combat. So that's one twist. Maybe the farmer class is useful outside of combat. We have yet to see. The other is about his character. Most isekai protagonists are either blank self-insert characters who viewers can pour themselves into because they lack personality, or perhaps they are vaguely good-intentioned and vaguely heroic moral characters. Yotsuya frankly seems like a little bit of an ass to me. His main defining trait is that he hates living in Tokyo, and if he could, he would destroy the city. He seems to have transferred in from the countryside, so not like the most sympathetic of protagonists. The animation on this one isn't exactly the best either. Uh, they seem to take advantage of some world elements to reduce the amount of animation they need to do, such as log points, which display conversations that happened in the past, um, but in a visual novel style. So there's not even any lip movement uh, in this in these log points. Not the most thrilling visually. Um, I'm giving this three episodes to change my mind. Uh, maybe there is something to his farmer skills that can be used creatively, but otherwise, I think I have enough on my plate this season that I really don't need to put up with this. If you do want to check it out, you can on Crunchyroll every Friday. Next up, we have the less competitive at Isekai in Kamitachi ni Hiroreta Otoko, or By the Grace of the Gods. Basically, there's an 8-year-old boy living in the forest alongside some slimes. He helps out some injured soldiers with magic before revealing to the audience that he's in fact a reincarnated salaryman who died in his sleep in Japan and who the gods of this world for some reason decided to reincarnate on theirs and giving him special powers so he can live a more relaxing life compared to being a salaryman. Now, I've seen a lot of people say that they really like this show because it's comfy and relaxing and more power to you, but I'm not seeing it. Uh, I'm more bored than anything else. I think people are perhaps thinking that the lack of action and slower pace is all you need for a show to be quote-unquote relaxing. I think comfy, relaxing show still needs some sort of conflict, otherwise it's just dull, even if it's overcome in a relatively non-intense manner. This season alone, for example, we have some shows that talk about such as Elena's journey or Sleeping Princess in the Demon Castle where they are overcoming some obstacle. Uh, here, because the, the protagonist is so overpowered and just living a carefree life, right? there is no tension at all. And yeah, we have had shows with some you know, no tension characters because they're overly powerful, but the conflict there was that, you know, the, that they would be underestimated by their opponents, and that's where the conflict came from. Here, everyone recognizes that he's an amazing person, right? So that's just you know, kind of dull. Um, you know, and then even older examples. My all-time favorite relaxing show is Brakamon, and that's extremely comfy, but there is still constant conflict between the two protagonists, Naru and, and Honda, in each episode that is eventually overcome by the end of each episode. So yeah, this non-conflict show that doesn't really try to teach us anything about the world or ourselves isn't really doing anything for me except literally put me to sleep. It looks like the director of this show was also the director for the rather uninspired Isekai smartphone in another world, which I found equally boring, so I probably shouldn't be surprised. 
Production-wise, I think this show is also a little bit rough around the edges. The CGI used for the slimes are pretty bland and uninspiring, and it feels like the foreground character art doesn't really match the backgrounds, which look like the camera of a children's child book and in some spare, pretty sparse wallet colors. Um, they don't seem to exist in the same dimension, honestly, which further breaks the relaxing nature of it for me. I'm giving it three episodes to turn my mouth, given how many people seem to like it. But frankly, I'm probably going to drop it after that. If you do want to check it out, uh, this the, By the Grace of the God airs on Sundays on Funimation. Now, striking a balance between the two is the somewhat hilarious title, Kuma 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 Bear, which literally translates to Bear, 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 Bear. I'm reminded of that Cartoon Network show, We Bear Bears. Um, it's based on a light novel of the same name. So the first episode uh, seems to be not quite the standard episode where... It's already taking place after the character has isekai'd in, but then it doesn't look like they're actually isekai'd by the end of the episode. It's a little bit confusing. But anyway, the first character, the episode starts with a young village boy going to another town to try to find someone to help save his village from a monster. Uh, Adventurer Yuna takes the case. What makes her stand out is that for some reason, she's dressed in a really weird-looking bear onesie. Very comfy. I'd like to cosplay that. Um, This causes the young village boy and others to underestimate her, but she proves herself to be reliable and and powerful enough to actually defeat the monster in question with her bear powers. It's revealed she's playing a VR MMO a la Sword Art Online, and the bear suit happens to be uh, you know, the best in-game armor that gives her the best stats and abilities. Doesn't seem like a true isekai per se, as at least, but the, the description online seems to suggest that she actually is being transported to another world for real, so we'll see if that kicks in, in the next couple of episodes. Accent was decent enough on this, not amazing, but not terrible like the other isekai. Um, it seems that this first episode was set in Medieval so again, we'll see if her character is more fleshed out. She seems to be more of a Oni-san, or Oni-chan, like older sister type character, as opposed to the typical male blank insert, which is a little bit refreshing. Um, uh, and so, you know, we'll see if the Trapped in the world, Another World plotline comes to fruition in a satisfactory way. Uh, you can follow Kuma 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 Bear on Funimation on Wednesdays. Now let's shift genres again. Let's talk about what I consider to be the comedy shows of the season. Now, comedy isn't normally, I guess, usually a genre in and of itself, except maybe with Osamatsu-san, but I already covered that. Um, in fact, you know, comedy is more used as an element within shows among many that is used to add to the overall quality of the show. So, you know, having an action show that is broken up by some comedic elements, or a dramatic show that has some comedic elements to break the tension. However, there are shows that I would say that even if they are in another genre, the comedy is really what keeps me coming back to these shows, Um, even if they have other elements in them, such as cute girls or, well, this season it's mostly cute girls. Uh, So first up, we have Masetsu, Um, the more Maesetsu. Uh, The premise here is that four high school graduates are pursuing careers in stand-up comedy. Specifically, there are two pairs of manzai comedy, um, a pair of a form of two-man comedy in Japan that features a boke or a funny man and a chukomi or straight man who kind of react to each other. Um, Often it features double entendres and puns, impressions, and cultural references. I think that this is where the show loses me a bit. Um, there's one specific gag in the first episode that is about, apparently, okay, one of the characters does an impersonation of a popular anime character, a real-life anime character, uh, impersonating another an- popular anime character who is impersonating a train conductor. So that's multiple levels of joke deep. And granted, the joke in the show wasn't supposed to be pretty funny to most people, but even then, it kind of went over my head, right? Like, comedy in shows is to be a comedy if it resonates with you is something that even if this characters in so don't get it funny you should see where it's supposed to be funny i can't even tell how it's supposed to be funny 
Uh, comedy is inherently subjective and depends on your taste as well as your cultural touchstones, right? Um, if, if this show is going to rely a lot on cult- Japanese cultural touchstones, I'm going to get some of it, I guess, through my exposure from anime, but a lot of the other ones I might not get, right? Um, and I also think that the Moa Blob character designs, uh, while it may be some people's thing, isn't mine. Um, and I, I, it reduces my enjoyability of the show. I think if the show had been a little bit more focused on the industry or the scene of comedy, stand-up comedy, as and a slightly more realistic take, such as you know, Shirobaka or Bakuman, um, I probably would be more invested, at least from learning something about that scene. But as it is, I'm probably going to be dropping the show. Um, that all being said, it is an anime original work of the original creator of Lucky Star, so if you enjoyed Lucky Star, um, you can want to check it out. You can check it out on Funimation every Sunday. Another entertainment industry show about cute girls breaking into that scene is a pretty funny one, uh, Ochikobre Futart, or Drop Fruit Idol Futart. This one is an adaptation of a four-coma manga about a group of show business trainees, an unpopular musician, a side model, a former child actress, and a newbie idol who forms an idol group to make it worthwhile to their agency to keep paying the rent for the dorm or they're going to get kicked out. Uh, the idol's group name is, of course, Fruit Tart, um, and while this one isn't quite the bust your gut funny, it was definitely amusing enough. I think the show's comedy comes from the different character interactions and situations they find themselves in. Each girl has a very distinct personality on top of a unique character design reflective of their individual backgrounds, um, and the way those, those, those personalities bump up against each other and interact with each other um, is where I think the charm of this show comes from, and it's super endearing, as well as not only between each other, but also between them and the world around them and the situations they're faced with and the problems and how they deal with the problems. For example, when they're trying to hand out flyers um, in this episode, you know, the musician, you know, starts busking and playing an original song, which actually had a really great animated dance sequence to it, um, hand-drawn, not CG, as far as I could tell. Uh, the actress put on a poor girl act, um, the model, uh, well, somewhat unwillingly, uh, was uh, ended up using her body to, you know, convince people to take them, and then the idol did what idols do and smile and, and, and kind of showed their personality. Um, this show does do a better job than my setsu in showing us what the business side of the industry looks like, though I don't imagine it's as you know robust as Sirobako, but again, still a pretty interesting draw-in. Um, I'm normally not one for idol series, but this may be the first one I actually end up watching to completion. Um, the, these girls need to prove to the agency they're, they're worth the investment. This show is going to need to prove to me it's also worth my time, so I'm giving it three episodes. But I think there's a good chance it will. Uh, the director, Keiichiro Kawaguchi, has worked on a number of shows. In fact, he's also working on the Higurasi remake thingy uh, this season. And the one that stands out to me when I'm thinking of this show is Osiete Gakochan, which is a short series back in 2016 about high school girls dealing with questions from puberty in a very relatable and entertaining manner. Uh, Drop Food Idol Food Tart airs on Mondays on Funimation if you want to join along. Apparently, there's a fifth girl who has yet to be introduced, so I'm curious who that will be and what her stick is. And finally, I think the show that most people would categorize in uh, this last show, most people categorize more on a comfy show than a comedic show, but Loki, I think, is a freaking riot. Uh, based on the manga Maojo de Oyasumi, or Sleepy Princess in the Demon Castle, um, it's set in a fantasy world, uh, and the Demon King has transferred Princess Cialis for reasons. Um, anyway, the hero makes the quest to rescue the princess, but it's not focused on him. Instead, it's focused on the princess who decides to try to pass the time in captivity by sleeping. Except being a princess, she's not used to the poor quality uh, of her environment, such as uh, the drafty cell with no privacy or the thinnest of seats and flattest of pillows. 
So she sets about getting what she needs to make her sleep more comfortable. Uh, more or less, the episodes are broken into, you know, 12, maybe 8-minute segments um, where the princess deals with each dilemma in unique ways. And those ways are pretty dang adorable. Uh, for example, in order to get enough fluff for a better pillow, she combs her cell guards, the impossibly cute teddy bear demons, for the extra fluff to stuff her pillows with. Then later, uh, this becomes one of the recurring gags as she uses the bribe of combing her teddy bear demon guards down to get the keys to let herself out and wreak havoc in the mansion, though uh, not for malicious purposes. Backing up the princess is an imaginative cast of demons manning the demon castle, including a minotaur, porcupine demon, scissor sorcerer, and a ghost shroud, um, who rest in peace, spoiler alert, they end up getting cut up for the princess's high-quality seats uh, using the scissor sorcerer's scissors. Um, I foresee this show being pretty formulaic, right? Each episode probably having two or three problems that the princess faces related to her sleep, and she constantly breaks out of her cell not to escape, but to find the resources necessary and uh, inadvertently causing trouble for the inhabitants of the castle along the way. Um, in a sense, she's not trapped with them, they're trapped in there with her. Um, and she ends up avoiding being reprimanded by the Demon King because he's so dang cute once he finally falls asleep and he goes to, you know, tell her off. I think the absurdity of the situation is what makes this hilarious. You know, cute, adorable princess ending up being a terror to her supposed captors is the kind of twigs and juxtaposition that really makes me laugh. Um, combined with the charm of the sub of the side characters, makes it something I'm looking forward to on Mondays to start off my week. Um, plus, you know, the princess, you know, again, spoiler alert, literally dies in the first episode and ends up getting resurrected by the demon cleric. So we'll see if that becomes a recurring gag throughout the show, um, and we'll see the more imaginative ways he ends up dying. Um, the director, Mitsue Yamazaki, was behind How Heavy Are Your Dumbbells Do You Lift and Gekkan Sojo Nozaki-kun, which were both pretty darn cute in its situational comedy, as well as flipping expectations of their heads of what cute girls should be. And she's joined by writer Yoshiko Nakamura, who also worked on Gekkan Sojo Nozaki-kun, so I have strong faith in Dogo Kobo and this creative team to deliver another cute girl doing cute things anime. Um, I'll give it a few episodes just to make sure and see if the formula gets old by then, but I don't anticipate it doing so. You can follow Sleepy Princess on Funimation every Monday. So the next genre I'm going to talk about is a surprising number of shows this season. Uh, so storytelling is all about conflict, and there often isn't a conflict much larger than war. And given the ability of anime and animation to do things you can't in the real world, having a war featuring supernatural beings and magic is, of course, a pretty common trope that may or may not overlap with the isekai genre. Not this season so much, though. Uh, first and definitely least is the uh, anime King's Raid Isi War Tsugomono Tachi, or King's Raid Successors of the Will. Maybe it's just because I've seen so many generic fantasy series over the years that when there's some broader political plot underfoot or growing on the horizon, but without it doesn't do anything unique either in setting or in the characters to grab my attention and interest me, I'm probably going to drop it. Uh, the animation in the first half was so slow, character designs so done before. Uh, in fact, I started dozing off less than 10 minutes in and finished it off by skipping through to see if there was anything interesting that caught my eye. Given the other fantasy series out there this season, I'm definitely going to be dropping this one. If you do want to give it a shot, check it out on Funimation every Friday. Uh, the next series is also honestly a pretty generic looking series, Magatsu Warheit Zurist. Zurist? Z-U-E-R-S-T, however you pronounce that. Both this and Kingsway are actually based on mobile RPG games, so that kind of explains why I find their stories so similar to every JRPG out there, they literally are JRPGs. Uh, that said, Magatsu Warheit is at least differentiates itself somewhat. Uh, there is both have, you know, a, a broader world supposedly developed with 
politics and various factions, but in Margatu Warhide, the mix of conventional weaponry, at least, you know, basic artillery and guns, with magic and swords is pretty interesting as opposed to Kingsway, which is just a straight-up medieval sword-fighting scene. Um, and it seems pretty interesting. The major plot point of the first episode, um, the main character, a, fort, uh, a newbie soldier, helps a blue-collar um, worker delivery man guy out on out by loading his truck that leads to unintended consequence of uh, smuggling of the, of the delivery guy accidentally smuggling firearms, um, which leads to a fight between the soldier and the smugglers who are trying to recover the lost munitions. That's a bit unique, right? It's kind of so that everything's interconnected. I could easily see this becoming kind of like um, the gunpowder in the Balkans, right? Like the uh, the, the killing of France for the relatively minor event that ends up leading to a much larger war, larger scale war down the line. Um, the combat animation was okay enough, nothing particularly noteworthy. Um, unlike Kingsuede, I'm actually going to give these three episodes to impress me. Um, that may just be just because Tuesday is a relatively light day in my schedule, um, but you can check Magatsu Warheight and decide for yourself on Funimation every Tuesday. Uh, next up, we have Kimi no Toboku no Saigo no Senzo, Aruiwa Sekai ga Hajimaru Sensen, or Our Last Crusade, or The Rise of a New World. Um, if that sounds like it's a light novel title, it because it is. Uh, the, store, the story is bet, set in a world where endless war between a science fiction, technology-focused empire and a magic-willing sovereignty has been ongoing for centuries. Iska, a soldier of the Empire who had let a witch escape from prison and got imprisoned for it, is being released from his sentence to hunt down the so-called Ice Calamity Witch because he's apparently that good. Uh, they proceed... Uh, him and the Ice Witch, Alice, end up meeting uh, in combat, and they clash, and they have a moment on the battlefield. Um, later on, at the end of the episode, they end up bumping into each other at the Opera House in a neutral city. So, off of that, I can already tell they're definitely going for the Romeo and Juliet faded lovers, star-crossed lovers thing, um, and they find they are feeling for each other, but they have to keep up appearances, and they still love each other, but they have to fight each other, and so much drama, and yeah, that's where this is going. Um, especially if they're getting pulled around by the political machinations of their respective sides. There's definitely more than a passing resemblance between them and Kirito and Asuna, and I don't think that's fully unintentional. Um, at first, gut feeling, I was going to drop this, actually, um, but I'm... And on second thought, I think I'm going to give these three episodes to impress me. Um, I'm generally not a fan of the corny and frankly cheesy Romeo and Juliet lovers routine, and the animation wasn't super impressive to me in terms of the combat. However, there are a couple things that are giving me pause. First, this is being produced by studio Silverlink. Uh, Silverlink, in the past year, has been pretty on fire with their adaptations. I didn't watch Bofuri in the winter season, but I know that was really well received, and My Life as a Villainess and Misfit of the Demon King Academy in the spring and summer seasons were both pleasant surprises for me that ended up being near the top of the season. Um, Co-directors Shin Onuma uh, and Mirai Minato both worked recently on the Demon King Academy Misfit, so that that's promising for this show. Um, the other fact is that Iska's engineer friend Nene and the rest of his squad at large seem like interesting characters, though Nene especially. Um, I love her character design. Um, so if the show can revolve more on more than just the main characters, um, but function on but look on the side characters as well and help them flesh out the world um, without being too ham-fisted in the politics of it, um, I think this show could actually work out. So we'll see. Last Crusade airs on Funimation every Wednesday. 
next up, we have the latest in Crunchyroll's experiment with making original anime based on Korean manhwa. Uh, this time, they're adapting the vampire manhwa Noblesse. Noblesse actually had an OMA back in 2016 produced by Production IG called Noblesse Awakening. This covers the events of the first volume of the manhwa, set in Japan this time instead of Korea because of politics. Um, and there were some experimental humans, they were part of a mysterious organization, they seal a coffin to try to escape because there's power in the coffin called the Noblesse. Um, the Noblesse ends up being a guy, a vampire guy called Cadiz Etrama de Rizel, who they call Rai for short, a powerful 800 plus year old vampire. Um, the events of the anime take place right after that ONA where uh, Rai kicks the mysterious organization's butt, or at least two of the members of the organization. Now, you know, if you want to watch Noblesse, definitely make sure you watch the 30-minute ONA ahead of time. Otherwise, you're going to be very confused in the first episode. Um, the director, Sunusuke Tada, was actually the director of both the ONA and this full-length series. Anyway, the series presumably is about going to be about Rai and his servant Frankenstein or Frankenstein and how they end up fighting off the Union organization and Lord knows whoever else who knows that he's the vampire and is coming out after him. Though it seems like maybe people actually don't realize that he is the noblesse because um, you know people weren't able to see that so uh, he escaped the coffin. So um, the thing is, I think all of that, you know, the politics, the combat, whatever, even though they're decently well done, especially the the, the original ONA, I don't know if that's going to apply to the weekly show, I can all take a backseat to what I think the real appeal of the show is. See, since Rai was in the coffin for 800 years sleeping, he has no idea about any of the modern 21st century Japan and how that works, so he's constantly learning and in off new things, be it getting a smartphone or, uh, you know, learning about ramen. Um, he ends up attending the school that Frankenstein runs and ends up making friends with a couple of students, and they're the ones who get caught up in, who happen to be the ones who get caught in the events of the ONA, and it's just great to see the pretty boy vampire lord who could probably kill everyone as he stands, uh, get really exciting watching his ramen noodles soak up the broth and get soggy because he likes it better that way, damn it. Um, I think the series can't, if they can toe the line, bet line between more of that deadpan situational humor, um, kind, of, kind of the juxtaposition of a deadly vampire lord and the kind of dorky fish out of water situation, while giving us some some of that background content and some of the great animation as well in terms of the action, this could go somewhere, right? This could potentially, I'm, I don't know if it, it would take a lot to top Tower of God as the best webtoon adaptation. Um, God of High School would probably beat on terms of story, though I still think God of High School is the best looking one. Um, I'm going to need to give it three episodes to find out, though. So Noblesse is, of course, being a Crunchyroll adaptation, streaming on Crunchyroll every Wednesday. Uh, next up, we have Assault Lily Bouquet, um, part of a larger mixed-media franchise produced by Saft Studios. The premise here is that there are a bunch of monsters, as you do, called the Hudes, who threaten humanity, as they do, um, and there are weapons that are a mix of sci-fi and magic called charms with Norse wounds and all, as you do, um, that only teenage girls are able to wield, as you do. Uh, the girls are called Lilies, and the series takes place in a school, as you do, uh, called Yurigaoka, where the Lilies have a sanctuary. So we're getting a mix of cute girls doing high school things mixed with some combat versus monsters with these huge-ass weapons. Oh, and then I mentioned the Yuri. Uh, there's a lot of it in here. Yuri, of course, being, you know, girl girl, and girl love, um, though not quite as explicit. Anyway, I mean, you know, the main protagonists are Yuyu and Riri. The school is Yuri Gaoka, and the girls are called Lilies, which translates into Japanese as Yuri. Not that subtle. 
Uh, the action sequence in the show was okay, and I'd love to see more done with the charms that are able to transform the suit of needs, though they, to some degree they seem kind of generic, you know, will the power, and it ends up, you know, turning into the exact form, either a gun or a sword, and suits a bigger blast, or it becomes sharper or whatever. Uh, not so much tactics in there. Um... And there is a character with a dark, mysterious, brooding past uh, who pins at a larger story, um, potentially psychological. Um, now, I think this so. I'm going to give it three episodes, but it's unlikely to make the cut at the end of it for one simple reason. There are shows this season doing everything it's doing, but better. Uh, we got a great Yuri show coming up in a little bit, and the next show I'm going to talk about uh, is those the cute girls fighting, com- doing combat against giant monsters thing much better. Um... Plus, there are also way too many girls for me to keep track of and remember all of them, which is kind of the same problem with last season's uh, Girls at an Academy show, Lapis Relights. Um, Assault Lily is found in front of Mason. Originally, they were on Thursdays, but they recently just moved to Fridays to make sure that they can get out on time on a regular basis. So you can check it out there. Now, that war anime I mentioned doing it better than Assault Lily, that's Senkyo no Sigrifa, or Warlords of Sigrifa. Same deal. Monsters, this kind of called pillars, that are apparently attacking humanity. Odin, in the form of a young girl or boy, I can't really tell, um, because Japan, uh, comes to humanity's leaders and offers them aid in the form of cute girls, of course, called Valkyries, of course Odin, uh, who fly propeller-powered planes in aerial combat alongside the rest of humanity's soldiers. One such Valkyrie, based in Europe, is Claudia, and she gets transferred to Japan. Now, Claudia seems to have this thing that where she, whenever she's in combat, she seems to be the only survivor, and that kind of messes her up psychologically inside. But the lively and energetic trio of Japanese Valkyries, uh, Miyako, Azuzu, and Sonoka, prove their worth in their first battle in this double-length episode. 48 great minutes in this first episode, and Claudia's life on the Tatayama airbase begins. Now, this series has a lot going for it. First, maybe it's a bit of an unfair advantage, but the double-length episode, thank you A1 Pictures and your budget, um, leads to great world-building and character-building in the first episode. Uh, you get a really sense of who of the each individual main four characters are, and that's kind of reflected in their combat tactics, which, you know, because they're fighting older planes that, you know, you can't simply win by believing in yourself more or powering up and shooting a bigger beam, right? Like, you have to actually have strategy in a military-style combat, which is actually, you know, a refreshing take on combat. Um, in addition, by having a relatively compact group of the main four characters, you the main four Valkyries, um, even though there's a larger world out there, you really get to focus on them and, and their relationship with each other, right? Um, and, and no, that that's really a strong selling point of the show as well. They're super cute as well, and with the great designs. Not to say, though, that the side cast is neglected. Everyone on Tatayama base you meet has a pretty distinct personality from the captain to the SEAL squadron who fly more conventional jets to the maintenance men in the hangars to the ladies who manage operations in the flight control. It gives me very strong Sirobako vibes with the core group of girls who are tight, but then there are also the personalities of the moving machinery around them, be it a studio or an airbase, um, with very compelling side characters. In fact, if I didn't know any better, I would have thought this was another PA Works production. Now, while I haven't watched ReZero, I know the reputation of screenwriter Tape Nagatsuki, who wrote both that series and this one, uh, so presumably we're in for some potentially heartbreak and darkness down the line, um, but for now in those early episodes, without that really being in view, unless you're specifically looking for a reason to be suspicious, um, this. It, it, it's just an enjoyable character show, which, you know, if they do eventually break our hearts down the line, it just shows that they know what they're doing and really making us enjoy these characters in the first couple of episodes. 
uh, the director, Hirota Tokuda, actually is having his directorial debut of the series, but he worked on episodes 15 and 23 of Sword Art Online Alicization, um, which was one of the, my favorite parts of the series, the raid on Administrator's Tower. So I have, have high hopes for him and the series overall. Overall, I'm fairly certain I'm in on Warlords of Sigrifia, um, barring anything crazy happening to take me off in the next couple of episodes. Uh, you can follow the Valkyries on Saturdays on Funimation. Now, the next two genres are those I think have the highest density of top quality shows this season. I think four, my top four shows of the season are definitely within these next seven shows. Uh, the first genre, some shows probably could fit into, we've already talked about, but it is the comfy slice of life drama genre. A bit of a mashup, but generally anything that isn't super specific in genre and also isn't super action-packed, right? Um, it could you know, be something you kind of sit and reflect on either to relax after a day of work or it could break your heart, right? But it's kind of like that drama is, can also be cathartic at the end of it. So a bit of a mismatch, but that's how, how I'm going to group these together. So first off, uh, and this is a bit of a spicy take, I don't think Tonikaku Kawaii or Tonikawa for short, translated to Over the Moon for You, is all that great. Tonikawa or is originally a very wholesome, fluffy manga by Kenjiro Hata, the creator of Hayate Combat Butler. Supposedly, he wrote it shortly after getting married to voice actress Masumi Asano in real life, so, you know, this definitely can, I can definitely see where it's coming from a place of love. Now, the story is that of genius teenager Nasa Yuzaki ending up getting hit by a truck, but instead of getting isekai away, he falls in love with, you know, the, on site with a girl who he asks out to go out with him while he's bleeding out. And saying that, and she says he will do so, but only if they get married first. Which, okay, that doesn't make sense, but okay. Fast forward three years later, he's eighteen, and she's, and then the sixteen-year-old Chukasa Chukiomi shows up on his doorstep one night with a marriage registration form, and they sign it and become husband and wife, just like that. Um, I presume the show will be primarily focused on the doki doki heartfelt moments of how wholesome and fluffy their relationship is as they get to know each other now that they're married. And I just can't. I can't with this, so. Okay, I get it. In romance series, people want to see characters be in a relationship and live their lives, right? After they get together and live their day-to-day -day lives together. I get it. I want that too. Most romance shows end on the characters getting together and the whole series is about them getting up to that point. And we're just presuming they live happily ever after, but we don't actually see that. And we want to see that. Tonikawa supposedly skips all that and just hops straight to them being in a relationship and it's about them living their daily lives together. The problem with that is that the reason we want to see characters in those situations live their lives together is because we have seen the pre-relationship side of them and we're invested in them and we want to see them afterwards. And the, the relationship part is the payoff that's been built up in the pre-relationship period. When you jump straight into them having a relationship after without having a relationship ahead of time and being married just off the bat, that just feels hollow and unearned to me, right? And the more cynical side of me wants to say that you know if that uh, if left un you know if left unchecked, it wants to say something that oh she's using him to escape some situation or whatever. And I know that's not the case. You know the so is definitely not that. I've, I've checked out some of the manga before. Not really my thing um, for the same reasons. And it's super fluffy. It's going to be cute and adorable, but. I don't know. I just can't without really being invested in the relationship ahead of time. Like, I see no reason for them to be together, right? Beyond, I guess, you know, tr the trauma of, of whatever. Like, love at first sight. I don't know. Maybe I'm just a single bastard who doesn't believe in that anymore. But, I don't know. I don't want to make it sound like anime fans don't know what being in a relationship is like. But, man, the idea of this being your ideal relationship between a husband and a wife uh, makes me cringe so hard. 
And beyond just the plot premise alone, you know, it's kind of an aesthetic thing, but the character designs looked at something out of the 2000s, um, which feels really underdeveloped for me and not something I'm really interested in. So, I don't know. I know the series is super popular. It's another Crunchyroll original production, though not out of Webtoon for once. Um, out of respect of that and how many pe- much people like it, I will give it three episodes to change my view on the show. But unless there was actual depth to their relationship between the protagonist, being beyond the protagonist being just like, oh, she's really cute. I'm so lucky she's my wife. Oh my god, I get to hold her hand now, even though we're married. Like, and see, my wife is so cute. I'm so lucky she just fell into my lap. I'm, I'm probably going to drop it. Um, I wouldn't be surprised, you know, if they never even have an argument, which doesn't seem realistic for that case, right? So anyway, you can judge for yourself if this is a healthy relationship or not on Fridays on Crunchyroll. Uh, next up, we have Kamisama ni Natahi, or The Day I Became a God. If I had a nickel for every animated season where Odin shows up as a young girl talking about the end of the world, I would have two nickels. Not a lot, but it's what it's happened twice. Uh, anyway, this one is a Jun Maeda special, a crossover between visual novel Key and PA works. Jun Maeda is the director of classics like Angel Beats and Clanad. Um, the only one of his works though I've actually seen is Charlotte, which frankly, I don't really remember what happened in Charlotte. This was like several years ago uh, when I was still like a relatively new seasonal anime fan. So I'm treating the day I became a god as kind of a blank slate with regard to my viewing Maeda as an anime reviewer. Now, this first episode gave me a sense of nostalgia for youth. You know, days spent putting off play- studying by playing with my friends or having crushes on girls and dreaming about of what the future might hold. Protagonist, Yota Murakami, is very much in this zone and headspace when Hina, the so-called Odin, appears out of nowhere and tells him the world will end in 30 days. Part of the course for 2020. Uh, he's inclined to believe her after some god-tier levels of forecasting the future, and so the story begins. Now, obviously I don't have much to go off plot-wise, but I appreciate how the first episode took its time to introduce the two main leads to us and build up what kind of people they are, and to some degree the stakes. Now, those stakes will likely take twists and turns, and Jun Maeda is known to do that, um, so the drama tag on my anime list you know, suggests that we're in for a wild, wild ride that won't be all fluffy and, and enjoyment. However, you know, this it was a pretty comedic first episode, um, especially with Hina, who, you know, the use of her predictive powers creates for some pretty silly moments. Comedy, in one sense, is essentially setting an expectation and then either subverting that expectation, going around it, right, or creating an expectation and then meeting it, but in a way you weren't expecting, but still being met. And that latter happens repeatedly where she makes a prediction and it comes true, but the way it comes true and the way that she made the prediction is, is the funny part. On top of that, the character reactions to her powers are pretty hilarious as well, so there's great potential here. And the animation work and and the sound design specifically, as well as the backgrounds that PA Works has put in, is all top-notch. I think the side characters, if they can complement the main duo a little bit more, it's not just the two of them only, um, this has a lot of potential. And, you know, whether the larger plot arises and tears my heart out, over, um, you know, we won't be, I don't think we're going to be disappointed. Um, you know. Plus the premise of, you know, what would you do if the so if the world was going to end in 30 days, which again, could very well happen in 2020 at this point, um, kind of, you know, makes you think. And I think the best anime make you think. Uh, anyway, I'll give this so another two episodes, you know, up to episode three to see if I'm going to follow up on it. I think I will, though. Um, you can join me in checking out The Day I Became a God on Saturdays on Funimation. Also, June Mai already got his obligatory baseball episode in, so who knows what we're in for at this point. Now, these next two picks in the comfy category are my top two comfy shows of the season and two of the top four shows of the season for me. Um, Best for when you want to relax and just ponder about the world. First, we have Adachi Toshimamura. 
This is a light novel series about two high school girls who discover their feelings for each other. That's right, when I mentioned earlier that there was a show that did Yuri, better than Salt Lily, this was it. Uh, honestly, there isn't much more to it premise-wise, right? It's about two girls, Adachi and Simamura, who skip class playing ping pong on the upper level of their school's gym and, you know, explore their feelings for each other. A lot of internal monologuing of each other's thoughts as they think about life and each other and school. But it's done in a way that it feels almost metaphorical and very poetic, right? Um, it's not very—it's not just dull panning shots, right? It's the way they compose it and the way they frame things and tilt the angles that really adds to the to the to the words, you know, in the subtitles that I'm reading. I get the sense, you know, that between that and the warm color palette, I'm almost watching an art film, right? Um, the mysterious astronaut Kun, who seems to be a metaphor himself for something beyond that, you know, also has me intrigued. Since there isn't a ton of action, right? P, uh, you know, the the studio uh, is able to, you know, put a lot more work into, um, you know, the subtle details, right? The way the lips move and the way the eyes move and the way they breathe and the way they, they respond to things in non-verbal ways that really help clue in deeper into the emotions that they're feeling, and that's something that's paramount in romance, right? Background work also stunning uh, and really helps the characters simultaneously feel in the moment they're in, and but also make that moment feel special and almost transcendental and not of this world, but in a good way. Uh, the director of this, Satoshi Kuwahara, is part of Tezuka Productions, yes, that one by the famous Osuma Tezuka, and was last the director of the Quintessential Quintuplets, also by the studio, one of the more enjoyable heroin moments anime of the last few years. Isika is still best girl, fight me. Um, he honestly has surpassed that so in every way with this one, and you know this so makes me want to be a young Japanese high school girl and experience the feelings these girls feel, and I can't think of a higher praise of this so that really makes me want to live that life. So I'm all in on Adachi no Simamura, no need for the three-episode rule. If you want to join me on this ride, uh, they air on Thursdays on Funimation. The other top show in this category is Majo no Tabitabi, or Wandering Witch, The Journey of Elena, based on a light novel of the same name. If you know of the show, Kino's Journey, that's the one where every, that's the everyone comp- one everyone compares this show to, and for good reason. Both follow a traveler, Elena in this case, who travels around the world and encounters individuals and cities that provide thought-provoking reflection both within the character and in, and, and, and question uh within the character and also the audience. Um, you know, other shows like this are Mitsuko and Hatsin, Misushi, Spice and Wolf, and if you think about it, some Watanabe works, right? Where like Cowboy Bebop, Samurai Sampler, or Space Dandy, where the main protagonists don't really encounter the same, you know, side characters more than once for the most part. And even some, you know, you know, uh though I think Wandering is definitely a lot more chill than those latter ones. Uh well, I guess Samurai Sample is pretty chill, but no, not as much action. Anyway, the first episode focuses on Elena before she begins her travels, actually, when she's still a witch in training. And, you know, and what does it so have going for it? Well, first off, it's definitely one of the best-looking shows this season. I can't quite place my finger on what it is, but the character designs of Elena, the way they animate her movement, as well as, you know, the way her teacher is, really stand out to me as the intersection of cute and beautiful, but also dignified. I'm really impressed at Studio C2C, who, honestly, everything they've done up to this point, I haven't been impressed by in the least. And I would say, you know, this is, I, I would have thought this was coming out of the, one of the major anime studios, like Ufa Table or uh, Madhouse or Production IG, or even Kyoto Animation, right? There is also a decent bit of animation of speaking, and there's also a bit of, of action animation during some magical combat sequences, and the effects animation for the magic really stands out as something unique. 
the background and the OST also complement the characters really well. And you know, there's also a bit of humor, you know, in 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 Elena's character. I really love that they gave her a sense of personality, so she's not a blank insert character as Kino can be sometimes in in his journey. Um, but it also makes it, but so but it also but it also made it grounded and, and human, right? As much as you can be as a magical prodigy. So it really makes you invested in the journey that is yet to come. As you can probably tell, I'm also all in on Wandering Witch Elena, and I'm looking forward to see where the journey takes us every Friday on Funimation. Finally, the last genre is my favorite, my bread and butter, action, hot-blooded sonin series. And all three shows this season, pretty bad bangers in my opinion. First up, Dragon Quest The Adventures of Dai. This is the second adaptation of a Sonen Jump manga of the same name that ran from the late 80s to the early 90s based on the Dragon Quest series of video games. This is actually not based on any video games originally. The manga was based on the video games, right? The world of the video games, but didn't actually adapt any story from the games. Um, the first anime ran from 1991 and 1992 and covered the first 10 of 37 volumes of the manga, um, unfortunately getting uh, cut off prematurely. Uh, the second adaptation is also done by the same studio, Toei Animation. No word if it's going to cover the original manga, though one can only hope so. Um, though if it does, it's going to need to be a long-running series not bound by normal seasonal constraints, which, given the time slot of being a Saturday morning cartoon in Japan, um, could very well be the case, as with Digimon. Now, again, that is a great way to describe the series, Saturday morning cartoon feel of my youth, and that's not a bad feel. Uh, Akira Toriyama didn't work on the series directly, but because he did the character design for the Dragon Quest video game series this was based off, a lot of those character designs and sensibilities do kind of port over here. Dai, the protagonist, gives off vibes that's a mix of Gone from Hunter x Hunter and Ash from Pokemon and a little bit of young Goku. He's the only human living on an island of friendly monsters after the Demon King was defeated, and he dreams of going up to become a hero. In the first episode, he's not able to use magic, but when he needs to rescue one of his monster friends, he uses monster capsules that let him summon other monsters for combat. Presumably, based on the OP and ED, he'll eventually leave the island and become a hero and join up with a party of other characters on some grand journey. The show does look like does have some CG mixed in with some of the 2D elements, mostly the monster models um, that look like something out of a Dragon Quest video game, but those aren't really awkwardly animated as you might expect, and I dive with it, right? I think it's really well done, for, to be honest. Now, if the formula ends up being too repetitive and it's like Monster of the Week and whatever, that could get dull really fast if there's no overarching plot, right? Um, I may end up dropping it, but, you know, and, and especially, you know, maybe not after the first three episodes, maybe I'll give it a lot, a little bit longer than that. Um, but like Digimon Adventure, I think I'm in until it proves me otherwise. Uh, Dragon Quest The Adventures of Die airs Friday nights on Crunchyroll, again, literally Saturday morning for the kiddos. Um, but because of the timing, I'll, I usually watch it on Saturday mornings. Now, perhaps the biggest surprise in the season, one I did not see coming, is Akudama Drive. If you were to describe it, it would be a cyberpunk, Quentin Tarantino-inspired science fiction crime series, and I just stop you right at, at cyberpunk because I love that genre. I don't really need anything else beyond cyberpunk to really give it a chance. But honestly, there's a lot more than just the aesthetic. So obviously, yeah, you have the, the, the cyberpunk setting of a cramped city, but the seven Akudama characters they premiere, a courier with a Spider-Man bike, Combat Junkie Brawler, Drone Riding Hacker, The Slightly Creepy Doctor, The Super Creepy Cutthroat, as well as The Slightly Silly Hoodlum, and The Caught Up In It All Ordinary Person, aka Swindler, are just super compelling fun characters like they're straight out of a comic book. 
uh, in the first episode. Each has a really stylized comic book style introduction that has so much flair to it. You can definitely tell that the, that the uh, creators were really influenced by you know action scenes like something from Quentin Tarantino. Um, and and the research, looking the research, you know, director Tomoshima and Taguchi, uh, who wrote various Persona series anime, um, and writer Kazutaka Kodaka, the mind behind Duncan Ropa, explicitly said they were inspired by uh, both cyberpunk and western crime series like Tarantino's Reservoir Dogs. In fact, the second episode is actually named after that same movie, and while the first is named after David Fincher's serial killer flick Seven, which makes sense, that's when we're introduced to the seven different characters. I wonder if they are related to the seven deadly sins. Maybe we'll see that come up. Anyway, the so oozes style from its amazingly animated combat, like literally some of the best animated combat, to city nightscapes, to the, the striking character designs and bumping soundtrack, to the choice of color palette, right? That matches the cyber the cyberpunk aesthetic. It's a real visual teach for the eyes that borders on just almost being too much, but knowing where to draw the line so that it hits the lizard brain my line just right. Um, to just sit back and take it all in. It, it hits different. It airs on Thursdays on Funimation, so it's a nice contrast to Adachi and Sumamura. Honestly, I'm not sure which one I'm going to watch first. Do I get hype and then relax after, or do I get relax and then get hype? Anyway, finally, uh, over an hour in, and probably the biggest and most anticipated show of the season, Jujutsu Kaisen. Now, flashback to November 2019, pre-pandemic, when we were able to go to anime conventions. I went, cosplaying as Chrome from Dr. Stone, to Anime NYC and attended the panel hosted by Viz featuring the mangaka from Dr. Stone. And while we waited for the panel to start, they were talking to us about, you know, oh, what are the series that we should be looking out for? And they said that this new supernatural series, Jujutsu Kaisen, would be having its English first volume soon, and that would be something we would really want to pick up because it was going to be the next big thing coming out of the Weekly Sonen Jump. Flash forward to the day, they were pretty spot on. Jujutsu Kaisen is topping the charts of the most anticipated, anticipated favorite uh, anime of the season of the series so far, and for good reason. Typical Sonen protagonist stuff, you know, male high school protagonist named Itadori, who is talented physically but really doesn't have the direction in life, just wants to chill with his friends, um, ends up, you know, uh, having to um, deal with some curses who are in this case, you know, supernatural beings who are spirits who go in and, you know, mutate mutate from dying with with regrets. Um, They end up endangering his friends. Um, In this case, because the curses want to consume the spiritual energy of a cursed finger that his friends picked up. Um, in the fray, he ends up swallowing that finger um, and gains the power to fight off the curses by becoming a curse himself, um, though he can control it for some reason. Now, that has painted a target on his back by a secret organization of sorcerers who hope to exercise the finger in question. So much going on here. First, it's directed by Song Hu Park and produced by Studio Mappa, both of whom worked on the, again, visually stunning God of High School last season. Um, this one looks like it's going to have proper pacing for the plot, so it's going to be solid, and you know the action sequences are going to be great, based on this episode alone even. I'm getting real strong vibes, premise and world-building-wise, from Yu Yu Hakusho and a little bit of Bleach as well. Um, those are always favorable comparisons to make, as well as also the power sets we can look at. This thing is just firing on all cylinders properly. Production, characters, animation, story, music, it's got it all. Sonin Jump is putting this much money behind this adaptation. I could definitely see it being one of the leaders of the next generation of for the magazine, so there's plenty of reason to be excited. I'm all in on Jujutsu Kaisen. Join the hype and watch it on Crunchyroll every Friday. Now, one other show I want to mention briefly, Burn the Witch. Uh, it's an OVA that was adapted 
buying on release on Crunchyroll October first. Um, so it's been completed. Uh, this adapts the one sort, the one shot slash sort series by Bleach creator Tide Kubo, set in the same world as Bleach, but in London instead of Japan, and with dragons instead of Hollows. Now, if you've read the manga chapters, which you really should, they're great. Um, this isn't anything new. It's actually just straight up adapting the most recent mini season um, that came out maybe like a month ago or so. Um, now, you know, but you know, seeing it in moving animation with music and the colors by Studio Colorido, it's super great. Um, you know, definitely worth sixty minutes. You know, split over three episodes to, to check out. Um, I'm looking forward to see more down the line. Whether Kubo makes a new mini season, uh, whenever he makes a new season, diving into the world. And that's all the shows this season. So to recap, since I know it's a lot, um, here's what I'm watching broken by category. Uh, a note: I do have my anime list updated, so you can follow along to see uh, in, in the show notes. You know what I'm following. If you don't catch everything I say. Most of these are going to be given the three-episode rule unless otherwise noted, so I'll say whether I'm leaning toward keeping or dropping it. Uh, pre-existing series are uh, Digimon Adventure, uh, Fire Force Season 2, and Also Much of Sand Season 3, definitely following all these. Uh, Sword series, I am dropping Real Romanesque and Guraburu, and I am following along Raising a Cat and Dog, as well as Sore Gakidanek. Um, in the sports series, I am sports series. I am leaning close, leaning to follow um, after the three episode Taiso Samurai as well as Iwakakeru, sports climbing girls. Um, for the pretty boys in Tokyo Gangs genre, uh, I'm going to probably be following all these along when all said is done. Ikebukuro Westgate Park and Hypnosis Mike: The Risen Rap Battle Rhyme Anime Anima. Um, now the big brain anime, I could go either way on. Um, depending on where the mystery takes us, right? Um, these are Moriarty the Patriot and Talentless Nana. Now, for the Isekai genre, right, by the grace of the gods, I'm giving three episodes but probably going to drop it because I think it's kind of dull. Uh, I'm standing on one million lives. I'm also probably going to drop um, because I really don't like the protagonist that much. Um, and then Kuma 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 Bear could go either way. I'm going to need to see a couple more episodes to see what kind of Isekai this ends up being. On the comedy side of things, I'm dropping my setsu because I think you know the aesthetic and I think the jokes are just aren't going to land with me this season. Um, I'm and then I'm meanwhile probably going to follow after three episodes, drop food idol fruit tart as well as the sleepy princess in the demon castle. For anime based on war, I am have already dropped uh, King's Raid. Um, I am. You know, going to give three episodes to Our Last Crusade or The Rise of a New World might drop it unless something drastically changes, I think, over the next couple of episodes. Um, I need a lot more information on Magatsu Warheit um, and Assault Lily Bouquet, though that one is closer to a drop, um, as well as Noblesse, um, which could go either way. I am also uh, probably going to keep up with Warlords of Sigdrifa, um, you know, because, you know, super cute girls flying planes. In the comfy slice of life, so uh, genre, I am probably going to drop Tonikawa, um, despite what people are saying, and I am leaning toward keeping the day I became a god. Um, Adachi Tosimamura and Wandering Witch: The Journey of Elena are both shows I am definitely all in on. And in the action shonen genre, I am leaning toward keeping uh, Dragon Quest at least until it loses my attention, uh, and I am definitely keeping Akudama Drive and Jujutsu Kaisen. So overview, 26 full-length series airing. I believe seven are exclusive to Crunchyroll, though, you know, if you've been watching, so though if you've been 
waiting to get an account. I think this season would be a great one to get one from Funimation. Um, I'm not a big enough podcast. So I have enough clout to get sponsored by Funimation. But but if you do want one, I'll send you over to the geek to geek podcast where they're doing some giveaways on their Twitter for Funimation premium accounts. I will say that this list of anime is biased by the fact that I am watching primarily new shows this season. Most of the returning shows are shows that I'm not going to be watching, and those are mostly found on Crunchyroll. Um, some business, actually some quick business tangent analysis. I think because Crunchyroll's parent, AT&T, is looking to potentially sell the streaming service, it seems that they may have less budget for licensing than in the past, so they're focusing more on shows that have a guaranteed return, i.e. sequels. As I noted, Jujutsu Kaisen is one of the top shows this season out of Sonen Jump, uh, and Tony Kawa is certainly very popular. Um, and then shows that, so other shows that aren't sequels have very dedicated fan bases, right? Like Iwakakeru is going to get people who want buff cute girls. Dragon Quest and Noblesse have pre-existing fan bases. And again, all of the sequels. Plus, they're also getting, getting non-exclusive streaming rights to Attack on Titan coming later this season uh, alongside Funimation, fun, fun, fun so I think that's going to be big enough for them. So, you know, definitely a split between new shows that are less guaranteed, um, you know, that are more experimental, going to Funimation, while the safer selection of shows that, you know, if you're already in fantasy show, you might be watching the uh, original series, um, Crunchyroll would be your place for that. Anyway, so, you know, one other bit that actually stood out to me was that, you know, this season, it looks like I'm, you know, assuming that all of these shows that I am... Uh, giving, you know, three episodes to and the ones I'm probably going to be leaning towards keeping, I keep. And the ones that I'm probably going to be dropping, I'm dropping. I think that's like 15-ish shows this season, not not counting the continuing shows from past seasons in any sorts. So, you know, compared to the 11 shows I was watching in the summer anime season, that's definitely a step up. Um, and just shows, I guess, the industry is kind of starting to recover from the pandemic. My busiest days of the week look to be Saturday, Friday and Saturday with four or five shows each. Um, and then, you know, uh, Sunday through Thursday, I believe I have either one to two or three shows. Now, this early in the season, if I had to pick my my top picks, I think I already mentioned, um, those are, you know, uh, Jujutsu Kaisen, Akudama Drive for hacks and shows, um, and Journey of Elena and Adachi Toshimamura for slower paced shows. So if you only have time for four shows this season, those are the ones I think you should definitely watch. If I was forced to pick a fifth, um, my gut would say Warlords of Sigdrifia, though, again, that could be changed very quickly by what happens in the first three three episodes. So I'll let you know next episode uh, what uh, my thoughts are on the top shows this season and which ones I drop and which ones I keep. Jujutsu Kaisen definitely at the very least, if you can only watch one, I think will be the one to watch. Um, and even if Crunchyroll has relatively sim selections for new shows this season, that's definitely worth getting a, a subscription just for that, I think. Now, a couple of shows I haven't talked about yet, but you know that's because they haven't aired yet. Um, apparently, there's a female version of Hypnosis Mike focused on DJing instead of rapping. When we, again, when we're getting the b-boy anime, when we're getting a graffiti anime that complete the hip-hops of Pillar. Anyway, the series is D4DJ First Mix, comes on Crunchyroll and Funimation starting October 30th. Uh, next episode is November 6th, so I'll make sure when I do my updates what I end up uh, if I end up uh, following, uh, I'll give my impressions on this show then. Crunchyroll also has another original series called Crimson Onyx. Uh, I believe it's coming sometime in November. It's not, I'm not sure if it kind of is an anime. It's not any like on my anime list or anything, but it's based on Mesoamerican mythology, and that's pretty interesting to me, so I'll give that a follow. Um, and hopefully it turns out something like Laughter or The Last Airbender. 
And then finally, in the prelude to the absolutely stacked winter 2021 anime season, the final season of Singeki no Kyojin, Attack on Titan, airs on Funimation and Crunchyroll on December 6th. Um, I believe the rumor is we're going to be getting 30 straight episodes of this, which is why they're starting partway through the winter season, and they'll probably continue on through uh, spring and into summer, or through winter and into spring. Having read the manga up to this point, just slap yourselves in. It's going to be a wild ride. In any case, that is the end of this episode. What shows from the fall 2020 anime season are you excited about? Which ones did I perhaps miss the mark on in my assessments? Let me know what shows I missed or which ones I'm totally off on on Twitter at yetanoanipod or via email at yetanotheranimepodcast at gmail.com. You can follow my email, my, my anime list at ninjaboy333, boy with an I. Link to that in our show notes as well as iTunes, Spotify, and Google Play. I'll include also, uh, if you can please leave a review for those or on podcasts.com, it really helps. Intro and outro music is provided by Suichi Sokagami at tandesk.com. Editing and production is provided by Ninja Boy Media. That's it for this episode. Uh, we air on the first and third Fridays of each month. Until then, see you, Space Cowboy. Bang!